Hey everybody, welcome to season two, episode 12 of the Hard Truth Inside the Football Industry podcast with me, Philip Heidson and Darren McAnthony, chairman and co-owner of Peterborough United. I think we're a little bit happier this week recording than we were last week. Talk us through your week, Darren. You know, I don't know. If you, if you listen back to all the podcasts, I mean, I've, I don't think I've ever sounded like a panicker in any of those podcasts. I might have sounded like a broken record, you know, about, you know, this is going to take a process, this is going to take some time, but I don't think you would ever say I was... Um, you know, no, or, or, you know, confidence in the bottom or whatever. I, I, I spoke last week about juju, bad juju, unlucky things. And I spoke last week about good habits and doing things right. And I believe the manager, you know, we spoke obviously during the international break. We did a big statistical analysis of the things we needed to do right. And we came out of the international break. We played Middlesbrough and I spoke about that game and said, we didn't deserve to lose the game in a million years. We, we did everything right bar take a fucking shot. You know, the, 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 the shape was great. The formation was good. You know, the patterns of play were good, but it was getting the final bit right. But actually watching it back, you're like, that's not as bad as you think after the game. You lost 2-0. We didn't have a shot, but there's a lot of good things to see. And credit to the manager we spoke afterwards about, look, we need a win, a reset. Win, reset. And you go to Hull, and obviously we haven't won away, and we've lost six in a row away, and it's, you know, everyone's starting to come at us uh, you know, local press are writing articles about we're going down with a whimper and the season's over. There's there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of negativity creeping in. And I'm sitting there, I'm having a drink with my wife. I'm just going like, fuck me, we're, you know, 11, 12 games into the season and everyone's basically giving up hope for me, bar the manager, you know, and bar the players. Um, you know, I've been around football 15 years and we played Hull and it was one of them games where, you know, both teams lacking confidence, both teams need a win. We score, and then they score like one minute later, and you're thinking, for fuck's sake. And then they get a penalty, and you're thinking, fuck me, almighty, this is a game we should be winning. And then the football gods, you know, appear, and the penalty goes over the bar, and we go down and win the game through Dembele. Um, and, and again, that's why I was probably so upset about him getting subbed against Middlesbrough. As crap as he might be in a game sometimes, and players can be like that, you don't take him off the pitch because he's always, you know, relying There's for that moment of magic. Yeah, that moment of magic and, and you know, and I think the gaff learned from that after the Middlesbrough game and lo and behold, last 10, 12 minutes, he pops up with a winner, 15 minutes to go. So that was really important because for a couple of reasons, one, we get the away win, B, we get the win, C, it's somebody people are saying are going to be one of our rivals down there, although I, I still don't think, you know, that's where I'm looking and I still have no idea really about tables. Um, so I profess in the second half of the season and you start looking at, you know, where you are. And, you know, more so to give our fans, the away fans who were brilliant and went there, just that little bit of, you know, happiness. And, and we haven't had a lot of that. And to remind the players, actually, you're not a bad bunch of players overnight. You've had some horror results. You've had some brief moments in games where you've gone under. But overall, we've been in most games all season for Sheffield United, you know, and, and showing, you know, we got our act together. We can compete really well. So then I get on a plane the next day and it's a great time to fly because you just won an away game. We've got QPR or fifth coming in get to the ground on Saturday. Really, really exciting because the atmosphere is great. QPR, God love them, they've sold 4,000 plus tickets. They're flying high. They're a really good team. Looked at their team on Thursday, Friday and the analysis that was produced and played some really good football. And it's like nearly 13,000 people. So it's a proper crowd, you know what I mean? And, and everyone's excited. You know, the pitch is looking great. It's nice to be in a bit of cold weather instead of the hot weather in Florida. And really, really good game. Really good game. You know, two teams, if you looked at it, you probably think, oh, they're very good teams in the championship going for each other. There was not, there was no stage in that game, if you watch it, you think, oh, one team's trying to hold on for a draw. One team's trying not to lose. That was us and what's good about us and what we should be all the time. On the front foot, wanting to score goals, wanting to go the other way. Again, excellent shape, really, really good discipline. Everything was in front of us. And as good as QPR are, we limited them to very little. There was a few errors we made ourselves, including the goal they scored straight from a corner, but there was never any moments where they ripped us open and got in behind. You know, the back line were very solid. Everyone was doing their jobs really well. And what was helpful again was they scored and we scored within five, 10 minutes. And then we probably could have been another three goals. And then you get late in the game and you always fancy us at home. We're a good home team, you know, throw Cardiff and West Brom out the window. We should have picked up all the points in those games, you know. Again, Bristol City lost. We were very good against them. Horrible conditions. So we're a really good home team. And um, it breaks to Dembele last minute. The Norburn plays a beautiful ball through. 
and yeah, you fancy the wee man because he's he's a strong little fucker. And for the second five days, our main striker scores um, a match winner. It's like ice in his veins when he as he took that. Yeah, you know that's that's who he is. You know he can he can be world class. He can sometimes frustrate you, but you know if he was to finish the article, he'd be playing for Barcelona. I mean, you know he is a top 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 championship player, and he can play in the Premier League, and he's still young. And again, I think it's his third year or fourth year in football. So he's relatively young, you know, but he has all the attributes. The biggest credit I can give him is since not getting a move in August, he's just been, he's been phenomenal. He's put his head down, he's worked hard. And, you know, now those rewards are coming. And bet your bottom dollar, every team we play will always identify him as one of the main danger men. But it wasn't just about him. There were so many good performances. You know, Harrison Burroughs is 19, gets his third goal of the season. You know, if he played for, you know, uh, Bournemouth or West Brom, he'd be in an England under 21 team. Because he plays Peterborough, he can't even get in the under-20s team. You know, but you're not going to find a better 19-year-old, you know, playing in the championship who plays as a 10 or plays as a wing-back who can score goals, make goals, and, and, and be as good as he is. So we're very excited about what we're producing from an academy perspective because let's not lose fact of we won that game on Saturday and on Tuesday, you know, with two teenagers from our academy in the team. That, that makes you very proud. But the crowd stayed with us. The crowd encouraged us. You know, QPR fans were at our fans at times about how quiet we are. And then all of a sudden we roar back into it. So, yeah, I'm really happy for back-to-back wins. Not getting overly excited. It's a start. You know, it's showing what we can do. And um, again, like I'm not panicking about when we lose a game of football. You know, this is one of the best leagues in the world. And I said before, and I keep saying, it, it takes time to adjust to this level. And, you know, we're doing this with, you know, some terrific players not available. You know, and, 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 and those players are now all coming back. And there's no coincidence that... You know, in the three games that Beavers has returned, then we've picked out six points out of nine. You know, probably should have got seven out of nine. Do you know what I mean? So, again, his leadership and the importance he brings to the team, we were missing him for eight league games. You, you, you know, Jack Taylor, I've always said to you, he's like the best central midfielder we've had for two decades. You know, he's only played, I think, four out of our, our five out of our 14 games. He started it. He was ever present, you know, last season, bar six games when we lost the league title and he was missing. So, again, you have to look at those things and go, okay. When we're at our best and we have our strongest out there, we're, we can be as good as we want to be in this league. So really, really happy with the two wins. And, and, and again, gives everyone a great weekend. And, and that's what it was. It was a great weekend. You know, there's been a lot a lot of talk about the front line and not having enough strikers on staff. Um, is uh, Dembele's performance over the past week or so kind of some vindication that, you know, you, you, have, the, you have the talent um, and you also you don't necessarily need to play with that target man. That, no. that everyone kind of automatically thinks I need a target man in my side. We looked in the summer to evolve into a pressing team where we would play basically, you know, if Jono had got sold in the summer, you know, we looked at, are we playing this way, are we playing that way? And I think what the suspension has allowed the gaffer to do is really focus on, right, we're going to play with three up top. You know, Bello is your main striker and you're going to have then, say, Grant, Smodics off him, or you might have Randall off him and you might have Burroughs off him, but you're always going to play that way. And, and it's, it's possession-based football with pressing. So you're not going long all the time. If you go longer, you're going long with pace. You're not going long with physical presence. And this is where, like, you know, it drives me mad about, well, we don't strike, strikers, strike, strikers. We play with one striker. The one striker at the moment is Dembele. All right? And he's played basically now a few games up top on his own. And he's just scored two match winners back to back. And I dare say he'll get a lot more goals playing in that position. So when you have one striker, how do you get them all in? Because Jono's back this Saturday. You're not going to get back in, I would imagine. You know, he's going to have to work his way off the bench. And I believe he's getting himself in great condition. Ricky's back in 10 days' time. So, you know, we had Marriott. So you start doing the numbers. And it was always this way. We were never going to play with two up front. The way we wanted to play the formation, the style, was always one. And then the two around them. So how do you get four or five strikers into one position? You can't keep just signing. So I keep saying this about people who want to get angry about the lack of strikers. You can't stockpile strikers. You know, at the end of the day, when you're signing players in the championship, it's a lot more money than League One. So you can't just have loads of spares hanging left, right and centre in the building. You can't go out and sign a six grand a week striker and stick him in the stands. He's not in the match day squad. And then go get another one because another one's injured. It doesn't work like that. There has to be a blend. So at the start of the season, we were like, who are the main strikers here? Well, you've got Dembele, Jono, Marriott and Ricky's your apprentice because he's 18 and he's from the youth team and he's going to provide great backup. They're, you know, they are main strikers. And then you've got your wider players off of that, whether it's Schmodricks, whether it's Randall, whether it's Grant. So... What do you want me to do? Get a fifth and a sixth one. 
and you just stockpile and you're giving the manager uncomfortable issues in the training ground with players who can't get the match day squad are going to be angry. So, you know, it's really, really difficult and you've got to get it right. And, and I feel we've got it right. And hopefully the results will continue and, and vindicate that decision. Now, is there a risk that, you know, as Dembele is obviously showing what he can do and what you've talked a lot about, what he, uh, you know, he's, he's obviously in the shop window. Um, January comes around and um, he gets himself some offers and you get some offers that are attractive with only six months left on his contract that he moves on. You know, is too much of it built around Dembele right now or, or what happens if that does occur? No, no the, the way the manager's playing, designing it now will suit some of the other players we now have in the building or could bring in a January instead of Dembele. So it's not the end all and be all. When we play one target man in a certain way, it's, target men are really difficult to find out there. So to go out and have to replace a target man with another one is, diff- is, is more tougher than having to go out and replace one striker focal point with a bit of pace and agility and ability. So we have some plan Bs and Cs on that. Dembele is not in the shop window. You know, we're not look actively looking to sell Dembele in January. Um, you know, we're a championship football club. If somebody wants to buy Dembele, you know, they would have to stick seven, eight million pounds in front of us, even with six months to go. The boy Josh King last year went for 10 million and he had six months to go. Dembele is a match winner. He's young. And if someone wants to buy him, they pay a premium for us to make that decision. Because it's not worth it financially to us to sell a player like that for anything less than that. Do you know what I mean? So people might think, oh, it's Bargain City. No, it doesn't work like that with a club our size, you know, particularly with the owners and me. We're not under that pressure, so we're not in a hurry to sell Dembele. So, no, he's not in the shop window. We're not ringing anyone actively up to sell him. You know, we want him to continue uh, and score goals. And if he goes at the end of the season, best wishes, and he signs for Real Madrid, great. If he decides to sign a lucrative contract with us, even better. If somebody comes and offers us seven plus million and add-ons on top of that in January, I'll replace him like that and, and we'll go again. That's I'm not worried about it. You know, Sariki staying or going won't decide what we do in the championship this year. We've gone past that as a team or a one-man team. You know, it's that one player. It's you know, we had that with Madison. Oh, Madison's not in the team, Peter Barnes any good. You know, we, we've got to get past that. What we're showing now is the squad game. Idris Tanu, who hadn't played all season, came off the bench and was brilliant on Saturday. You know, players coming into the team and the squad and playing their part. Harrison going in instead of Butler at left wing back, you know, probably could have been the man of the match. You know, again, players, it's not all about one star man. And I like that in our squad. Now, you were getting into it on social media on Saturday night, which I was kind of enjoying watching from afar. Um, you know, you could tell that you got the three points and were a little bit more confident in the, in the, the way of the world. But there was uh, some some stick you've been getting about. Uh, I think one of the things that uh, I read was the worst recruitment ever. And, you know, what do you make of some of those claims when you see them? That's, that's aimed at me because that's my remit and that's my department. Um, I've always said on the podcast, I'll hold my hands up when I get things wrong. I think our recruitment was amazing in the summer. And I think people aren't seeing it for what it is. And it drives me mad when you get fucking morons, basically, who've got no sense whatsoever of what it's like to run a football club, to work in the championship, with what we have as resources to make a good fist of it. And they come out and make comments as ludicrous as that. And the reason it's ludicrous is because three of our summer recruits are in the last two wins. Randall, another summer recruit, is going to be one of the best signings I've ever made. He tore up League Two. Like speaking as a League Two supporter, we were delighted to see him uh, leaving League Two. He's 21. He's going to be an amazing player, particularly the way we're now playing. He's going to be money in the bank. Poku is 19, money in the bank. You know, Josh Knight, who hasn't been at his best, granted. Everyone wanted him and we thought he'd be a great addition to the defensive, you know, team at the club. And we haven't seen our best to him. Again, a good recruit. You know, a couple of the younger ones were for the under-23s. So I'm not sure if they want to ping, say, Joe Tomlinson at us. Again, you're judging somebody who's had a few minutes here and there. We, I always said, as of January onwards, it's going to take six months for some of these players to find their feet at the club. I don't see any signings in the summer as bad signings. And if you look at three of the signings that were in the team on Saturday, Cornell's come in and done brilliant. Norburn's been absolutely outstanding. And George Grant's been top class and plays a pivotal part in the front three. So, again, you've gone on about recruitment. And if you want to go back to, we didn't sign a striker. I've just gone through all the strikers we've got. And, you know, in the next 10 days, by November, the only striker missing from that bunch will be Jack Marriott. And he'll be back at the end of January. So, again, how is it the worst recruitment you've ever seen? And, And you're forgetting that we spent a considerable amount of money. We did good in and out. 
And at the same time, I think we gave out eight new contracts to the players who are now showing that they can play in the league. So again, talk to me through how it's the worst recruitment you've ever seen. And it's the usual suspects. There's a couple of names you could throw up that we could go and beat whoever, Bournemouth 5-0 away. And these couple of wankers that still pop up with their shitty comments. And that's just the way it is. You're always going to... Look, there are people who won't have me no matter what at Peterborough. It's a small, small minority. You know the usual names. They wait and they wait and they wait, usually when it's not going well, and that's when they're at the strongest. Now, that one person I was having a thing with on Saturday, he's not really like one of them, but there's a few others who are. They just absolutely love it. The minute things aren't well, out they come. Guess what? When we won promotion during COVID, with all the issues we had, I never really saw much of them. I didn't hear from them. There wasn't any words. So that's where respect goes out the window. I front up when we're doing shit, and I front up when we're doing well. People go, oh, here he is on social media. No, bollocks, go through my things. You'll see me front up after every loss. I said I'd do every three games because I was traveling and because of what's going on in the UK. I thought, well, I'll do the next couple of games. We've got an international break. So doing three in a row sometimes doesn't work. It's not me showing up when we win. I know what people think. There are some owners out there and people who just pop up whenever we win, you know, clubs win. That's not me. You watch my streams on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. I'm there. I don't hide. I'm on this podcast every week. Again, I don't hide. You don't have me ringing you going, you know what, Phil, we've just lost. I don't fancy doing a podcast on Monday. I've never done that. Because the one thing you can't say about me, I'm not a fucking coward. You know, at the end of the day, I've been in football a long time. And what I will say is, credit to my manager and the players and all the staff. Like I keep saying, we've had them 20 months. They're a good bunch. They've had a lot of shit thrown at them. There's been a lot of shit in the local press, which has been very unfucking fair Because like I said to you, you go back four months and it's like you're lauded. Within four months, you've been written off. And it's absolutely short-sighted. It's really, really silly. And, and you'd be a fool to write this team off like that. And they've done it a couple of times. And I go back to last season when we lost three of the first five games. It was the same people saying the same thing. You know, and I keep saying, trust the fucking process. You know, when you've been around 15 years, when you've done this, trust the people who are doing it. Because if you lose your trust, you lose your nerve. And I hate to see any of these fucking idiots play poker because they'd be fucking terrible poker players. They would shit their fucking pants at the first sign of pressure. And that's the difference. My manager can take pressure. I take pressure. Some of these people who write this stuff can't take pressure. You know, and that, and that is the difference between in life of being a winner and a loser. Do you know what I mean? So I, I'm not looking for pats on the back because we won two fucking league games. You know, it's been okay. And it'll get a lot better. I keep saying, watch us go February onwards. Because I have a real strong inner belief you know, because of the lack of panic inside, because of the consistency and the, the coaching and the people we have, I just feel we're going to be really, really good. And I've been saying it since podcast week one. I think we're going to have a really, really good season. Ignore what the start was like. I think we're going to do well. Mark my words, QPR be a top eight club. You know, going toe to toe with a club like that and probably could have scored four or five more goals. Uh, you know, that inside, I'm just like, you know, that's us. In the atmosphere of four or 5,000 away fans. Absolutely. That's us. Winning a game against Hull, which everyone was saying was a six-pointer, which is ridiculous this early in the season. Again, that's my boys. People are just far too quick. We, we, we kept going back and saying, you know, look, look, look at Luton two years ago. Look at Coventry last year. These teams have grown in. Look at where they are now. Look at Coventry year two. Look at Luton year three. Look at where those clubs are. I think they're like fourth and fifth in the champ. And, and, and fucking massive respect to them. I love seeing them do well because, again, it gives us that pilot, that that roadmap of find your feet, improve, improve, improve. They're really well-run football clubs, Coventry and Luton. I like to think we're a really well, well-run football club. And I think most fans should say nowadays, we want really well-run football clubs to do well, right? We want them to do well. I mean, it shows that the gap isn't such that getting promotion is not almost automatic relegation. And that's what it seems like Coventry and Luton are showing. No, if, if you've a really good setup, if you've a really good plan, if you've got good people behind the scenes, I'd like to say that about not me, but the staff, my partners, our manager, there's some terrific people behind the scenes. And, and I've always said, we're building a really good team off the pitch and on the pitch. And I think when you're a football club doing the right things, you'd like to think you get the right results by doing the right things. And, and, and I've had the shit kicked out of me and things go against us trying to do the right things. So I just think on the wheel, it's your turn to get that bit of good luck. And, and things to go your way. You, if you keep doing the right things, the right results will happen. Do you know what I mean? And it's like you keep making stupid mistakes, bad things will happen. So, you know, all I say is win, lose, or draw. You know, it's amazing. It's a great league to be in. It's really enjoyable. 
you know, you don't see me under the desk getting too down about it. You know what I mean? And just going, okay, this is the process. This is what we're doing. This is what we've got to go through. No, oh, fuck. We've got no strikers available. Oh, fuck. You know, our best players aren't available. But hang on. Give me this four months ago, that day against Lincoln when we were 3-0 down. And I'm <laughs> yeah. a bit of a fucking finger off your hand for it. As were all our fans. So that, that's what I keep always reverting back to. You know, I've wanted to be in this league for eight years. I'm now in this league. And I'm not going to fucking squander it and regret it and sit here depressed about football losses because you're going to lose games in this league. <laughs> That's the way it goes. Well, you know, going over the... Let's talk um, Bradford. Come on. Yeah. So we had an interesting week. We lost to uh, Hartlepool at home, which was, you know, feels like as low as it can get, although I know that, you know, you know things can always get worse. Um, and then we turned that around with uh, winning away at Swindon on Saturday where we played them off the park. I mean, it's, I said it in a tweet. It's such a roller coaster is football, isn't it, sometimes? You uh, you know, you go in a game, you think you should walk away and win easily, and you get the get it kicked to you, and, um, you know, we got exactly what we deserved. And then Swindon on a great run, I think they lost maybe 1-11, in 11, unbeaten at home since August. Um, you know, really the form team, and we go and play like Real Madrid against them. What happens? Change of formation. I mean, we got maybe a couple of the injuries starting to come back. So uh, now Canavan, centre half, who came back in, we went from the like three up front, basically the formation you play, we went to 5-3-2. And um, that made a big difference having two up front, you know, bringing somebody in. Now the striker's not on his own. You know, the knock-ons are going to somebody, a bit of a partnership forming. The striker was a, a lad called Kaelin Lavery, who... Honestly, he's, you know, he's bought as a reserve and he's just come back from injury, but he did really, really well. And it just made a big difference. Maybe we just surprised them. Maybe they weren't expecting the formation change. You know, it was one of those games where they had 76% possession. And yet we had, I don't know, I don't know the number, 10, 15 shots to there, maybe four or five. You enjoyed it, yeah? It was absolutely like living to watch. It was just one of those where... You know, you felt in control and it was just a nice surprise. Is that it now for you? Is, is that like, you know, the fact you, I, I'm always uneasy about managers chopping and changing the formations because you recruit players for formations. So when a manager starts going away from it, you go, you got me to recruit for these two formations and now you're going to another one. And that's been something I've learned the last couple of years, like stick to that process and, and, and your shape, you know? I mean, time will tell. But, you know, sometimes seasons turn on things like that where you're forced into it, you know, where you've got injuries and you've got to play somebody up front that you didn't imagine was going to play up front or someone just gets this chance and takes it and suddenly it sticks. Were the natives getting restless? Oh, yeah. I mean, there was a lot of booing on Tuesday after we lost to Hartlepool. You know, we're an impatient bunch after a few years back in League Two again and, you know, seeing the club kind of implode over the last few years with, you know, some of the challenges with the ownership and things. And because, you know, we've been told that nothing other than going for promotion is acceptable. So, you know, when you set those standards and you um, you fail to deliver, then, you know, people are unhappy about it. Fickle buds. Oh, poor buds. <laughs> but nice to get, you know, three points on the board. Hey, I'll take another 25 posh uh, Bradford win doubles. <laughs> yes, know, right? <laughs> bring it on. <laughs> Absolutely. Bring it on, baby. <laughs> That's what we want. You know, to be fair, straight away, I was like, you know, checking the Bradford Twitter stream, you know, to see what the result was after the game. So I was like pleasantly surprised because obviously I, I, I follow Swindon and one of my ex-players are doing well, Louis Reed there. And uh, yeah, so that was a hell of a turn up for, uh, for the Bucks. It's funny, there I am on like old teletext days following your uh, last five minutes on Twitter as well. Keep on refreshing and hoping. I find myself, you know, following, um, following your games as much as I am my games almost at this point. To be fair, it's quite a few fans have popped up on the Hard Truth uh, Twitter feed who are like, not Bradford or, uh, or posh fans, but suddenly are looking for our results, you know, because of the podcast. So which is quite nice, refreshing, you know. It's good. So what else has gone on in the football world? Anything else? In- you know, I think there was maybe a few goals in the Premier League this weekend, wasn't there? Welcome. <laughs> Where do you even begin to start? I watched that game and it was an incredible performance. But yet the story is... Man United, not Liverpool. Yeah, I mean, I, I had a sense. I mean, obviously, I was worried that, that when I saw the Liverpool team sheet and Fabinho wasn't in there, um, you know, I actually agreed Mane dro- getting dropped because I think he's been fucking rubbish for 18 months. To win. So even though he scored a few goals this season, he gives the ball away too much. Do you know what I mean? And misses some serious chances. But And I quite liked him bringing in Canate yeah, from Atip 
because we've like leaked goals for fun in, in a few of the games. Um, I like the decisions and when Klopp is brave like that, you kind of like trust him. You know, I never, for a moment, you know, I worried about Fabinho being injured because you're thinking of the United midfield. But when I saw Ole, uh, you know, before the game, speaking on Sky saying they were going to go at us, you know, early on and, and whatever, I kind of thought, oof, you know, be careful what you wish for because this Liverpool team on the counter are fucking sensational this season. And just like Leicester against United, I'm not sure, I'm not sure United, with Ronaldo up there, have the personnel to play like that. Like, this is, comes down to recruitment and personnel and everything else, do you know what I mean? And, and formations fitting. And if you listen to Sky Sports talking about, well, pressing, not pressing, it's really important you have the right personnel on your team. You know, if you've got somebody who's 30% slower than everyone else, it's very difficult to press as a team. You know, the focal point to how you press. And we've spoken about that with Clark Harris, Dembele, and, and certain players and whatever else. You can, you, you deal with the hand you're dealt, and that means you have to play a certain formation. If United had gone the other way, and, and it's difficult for them to do it at home, and played us, you know, and gave us the ball, I'm not sure you'd have the same result. Um, so, you know, because Liverpool obviously have conceded a lot of goals on the counter themselves. You know what I mean? They've looked very vulnerable. You know, so they've conceded you know, 2-0 up against uh, Atletico, back to 2-2, won the game. I think it was Milan, the same thing. Brentford scored three goals against us. You know, again, you know, there, there are a few deficiencies there. Um, and early on, Fernandez could have put them one up and you're thinking, oof, thank God for that. But what have we said about Ole? Lovely guy, great guy. You're not winning a league title with him as your manager. I've been saying that since day one. It's not happening. I mean, it feels like a broken record at this point, but here we are recording on Monday and he's still in a job. And that alone, you know, tells you everything you need to know. Jamie Carragher said something on Sky that was absolutely true. I think the ownership at United are fucking terrified. They've been scarred with Van Gaal and Mourinho. They've been scarred of getting some big-name world-class managers in who won't toe the line. And what they've got is a manager who will toe the line. He won't come out and demand the board by players. He won't come out and question the board. He won't come out and, and throw shade that way. He's a brilliant club man. I love seeing after the game, you saw pictures of him doing autographs and videos with the fans. And they were very, very reciprocal to him. They weren't abusing him. And that's right, because he's a class guy. The problem is he's just not, you sound like a broken record, he's not elite. He's not, he's not, you know, give Klopp that team, give Guardiola that team, give me with that current squad. They'd be a different team. Tuchel, you know, any of those people we've just named, give them, you know, Conte's a world-class manager. The problem with Conte is he's a certain way he plays, and I'm not sure United have. He plays with, you know, out-and-out wing-backs. He's a certain way of playing. I'm not sure... It's, he's suited for United at the moment. They keep giving Ole hundreds of millions to spend. Like, I mean, my God, the players on the bench. I went through it. Like, Popka, uh, Sancho, Van der Beek. I mean, it was, I think I count it was 280 million sat on the bench. And you're watching going, my God. I mean, you can go after the Glaciers all you want. You can keep going after the ownership at United. And I know some of the fans today were going on about it. But with all due respect, I mean, they've gone out and signed Varane in the summer. You know, Sancho on the There's summer. money to spend, or money being spent, should I say. I mean, as a Liverpool fan, I look on just envious and jealous sometimes at the talent that comes. I mean, what Liverpool could do when our players go to the African nations in January, having Sancho lying around in the building to be one of our front three and popping in. You know what I mean? So, so I'm very, very envious, you know, of, of some of the, the players United have been able to go and sign. Um, so I, I don't know. You know, for me, they will stick with them. I have a feeling City are going to smash the shit out of them. Going to come in. I, I don't think it's going to get better very quickly. Is there a final straw? I mean, is is getting smashed by City a final straw? I think the final straw for this ownership group will be when they're ten points outside the Champions League spots, because I don't think they can afford another two years outside the Champions League like they had a few years ago. And I think that would set alarm bells ringing for the Glazers because the ownership they like a David End, they like the few quid that comes back. I don't think they can do that whenever there's. Um, you know, no Champions League football. I don't see him lasting the season unless they stay there, thereabouts in the top four. Um, but that looks like a team devoid of elite leadership. They were just all over the place, weren't they? Like, they were players were looking at each other like, what do I do? Blame game. You don't like to see it. You know when things are going wrong. They weren't looking at each other, Phil. They were giving each other daggers. When players, like Fernandez was one of the worst, when players start giving daggers out to each other, you know you've got problems. I don't mind a healthy scrap. Players can have a scrap and fucking dig each other out. But there was like slide daggers. And when you slide daggers are people who are a bit two-faced. And you got the Pogba Sagba rolling on, another now red card. And is he going to sign a new contract? You go, oh, well, Ronaldo's back and he's got to play. And 
Sancho, you know, they, they spent two years chasing them and the guy's never fucking hardly played. You, you've got all those issues going on. And then you've got a nice guy manager behind the scenes trying to keep all that together who's not ruthless, who's not elite. He's just a lovely guy. And sometimes you need a bastard to sort out a fucking mess. He's just being led by a squad at this point or senior players. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, it's not good. It's not good. Um, I mean, ask yourself the question. I'm not Simeone's biggest fan. What would Simeone be like at Man United? Now, he's, he's not your United-type manager because his, his teams are defence, clean sheets, you know, uh, men behind the ball. You know, but obviously he's a certain aggressive way he plays. Well, you need someone to go and shake him up, don't you? You need someone to go and, you know... about Zidane, you know, and, and, and I... Zidane won Champions Leagues and he won a couple of league titles at Real Madrid. I'm not sure about him. I'm not sure about him. He feels like handed on a plate. Um, yes. Maybe that's being harsh on what it takes to even... As we're seeing with what Ollie's done at Man United. Yes. And I think he was handed a Champions League winning team. I think he was handed a league winning team. I think he had Ronaldo still at the peak of his powers you know, for a couple of years early on, first time round, and then the second time round, obviously, he came back. But, yeah, I, I, I don't know, you know. You know why, do you know who I would give that job to? Do you know who would fix that football club? Do you know who would have them playing football that the United fans would wank in their pants? Brendan Rodgers. Brendan Rodgers, within 18 months, would have United as a, as a title threat. If he could do that with the Liverpool team seven, eight years ago, do you know what I mean, that he had back then? If he could do it with them where we should have won the league, me and, and seeing what he's doing with Leicester and the way they play, Brendan Rodgers. I think as a player's coach, as somebody who's who can be hardcore and who looks like he's got a bit about him, you know, to sort out shit in a dressing room. Um, he doesn't look like a, a deer in the headlights, like all I can look sometimes. Um, I think Rodgers is, you know, forget about the fact he's Liverpool manager. I don't think that should discount you from the job. Um, I, I think he's primed for another top four job. I think the job he's done at Leicester, he's won the FA Cup, they won the Charity Shield. They obviously ran close for the top four, two seasons in a row. They're producing talent that they're selling for big money and then, you know, reproducing. So I just think everything about that man after Celtic and now coming into Leicester, he's primed for a run again at big club. I mean, do you think a big club will ever take a non-big club manager? So what I mean is, you know, aside from a club legend, you know, appointing a club legend like Man United did with Ole, it seems like it's this merry-go-round of, oh, we're talking like same people being talked about for the Newcastle job now. I don't want to say failures, but, you know, they manage all the top clubs and they go and they, they spend a couple of years and they move around. Is that, you know, who's going to break that mold? No top manager's taking the Newcastle job uh, until they're safe. Like the guy they're looking to bring in, he's not in a job at the moment. I forget what his name is. And, you know, I don't think any of the top managers in jobs would go and take that job. Now, if it was next summer and they were in the Premier League, I think every manager in the world would Yeah, it's like a two-step process, isn't it? 100%. And, and Rangers fans, beware. Because I, if, if Newcastle somehow managed to get a manager just to keep them there at the end of the season and they went after Steven Gerrard, like for me, I think I'm so impressed with what Stevie's done at Rangers. You know, early on I was concerned and I thought, well, he's got a job there, a bit like Lampard, really, without doing much. And I've been so impressed with his staff he put together with the longevity, with building a squad that year one, not great, year two, you know, what they were doing in Scotland and going unbeaten. And I just think jared has got that bit about him. And if, if Jurgen stepped down tomorrow, of course, Steve, you'd be in the Liverpool job. Do you know what I mean? But I think Jurgen Klopp's got another five, six, seven years in him at Liverpool. So I'm not concerned about Jurgen leaving. So for me, and this will sound controversial, United Newcastle, if they wanted a manager, it would be Jared or Rodgers. How would Liverpool fans see him if he took that job? Well, a lot of them wouldn't be happy. But you, you, you know, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, Jurgen Klopp's not gone anywhere anytime soon. And, you know, that's no matter what you say about Man United, it's. It's, you know, it's still Man United. Biggest, it's clubs in the world. Yeah. Who the fuck wouldn't want that job? So, you, you know, that's what I'm saying. Brendan Rodgers. You know, if you can't get Jared, that's a no go. Brendan Rodgers all day long. You go in and offer Leicester 100 million. You know, you're giving them 100 million for a centre back that was in a 5 0 trash on Saturday. Going off from 100 million for their manager. Because Harry Maguire played his best football under him. I'll tell you right now, if they went and signed a couple of the central defensive midfielders that Leicester have, United are a proper team. You know, because that's what they're missing. When you've got a team with Fred and McTominay in it, you're not winning league titles. You know, but you look at all the other parts they've got and you go click, 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 click. They're just missing it. Fabinho, they're missing that world class. Top, yeah, Kante, that player. Do you know what I mean? Who, who plays in front of the four and who basically just does all the dirty work in the hard yards. So, you, you know, you go get Rodgers 
and you get Maguire playing again, you suddenly be able to go and recruit one of his best players at Leicester. You got Tillemans, you got the other fella, you got two of them in there that are like top class, you know, midfielders. So for me, that's the play for United because you have to put your hands up and go, Ole is not winning anything anytime soon. Forget about a League Cup. I'm talking about winning the Champions League, winning the Premier League title. It's just not going to happen. And you worry for United this season. And as an ownership group, sometimes you've got to look at it and go, he's been brilliant for us and he settled things down after Mourinho, but now we need to go and get a Rodgers. Meanwhile, in the Premier League, we have uh, Ranieri securing his job for another week. That was a, a pretty incredible 5-2. I don't think anyone saw that one coming. Watford have got some really good players. For whatever reason, Everton looked like Keystone Cops the way they defended. It was weird. Um, it was very on Benitez-like. And obviously, I could hear it. Their fans are going to turn very quickly in Rafa because of the whole Liverpool thing. And if they keep playing like that, fuck me, um, he's got problems. You can give it a couple of weeks and they'll be back at Newcastle. Oh, let me tell you, if, if Liverpool rolled into town and did what they did to United to Everton, Rafa Benitez would be fucking gone. Mm-hmm. They had a good start and now obviously they've got injuries and they've, you know, they've lost Calvin Lewin. So there's all those things to consider. Watford, when you look at it, they've got some really good players. I, I actually don't think Watford are going to struggle. I actually think Ranieri will actually do all right there, but he will be fucking gone next summer because that's what they do. <laughs> they, they, they freshen things up. They get them up to like 14th and then they'll lose four games in a row at the end of the season and they'll comfortably stay up and they'll fucking tin tack them. That's their way of running the club. So listen, whatever works for them. Um, and unfortunately for Norwich fans, are hammering at, at the hands of Chelsea. One res- You can take one result out of context when you come up against a top three, top four club because just the golf in, in class of difference. But... I mean, did Norwich have any chance of staying up already? Here we are in October. I think the problem you have is is that, you you, you know, a club like Norwich, you get the January and it's like, do you stick or shift? You know, do you, in other words, are you close enough where you go, right, we've got to go and sign a couple of players because we've got a chance here of staying up. Or if you're fucking dead and buried, you know, and, and the lights have gone off, then there's no point. Then you're planning for the championship. And, and because I like clubs that are run well, I want Norwich to do well. I hate fucking seeing them having a shit start. And obviously... You know, fair play to their owners and their fans. You know, I think they've lost 17 of the last 18 games going back to the last time they were in the Premier League, you know. Um, but it's it's always, it's the same mistakes, I guess. It's defensively looking weak as piss, you know. And, and when you're giving in seven goals, I don't give a fuck if you're playing Chelsea. You know, you're playing Chelsea, you're missing two of their best strikers as well. Am I ready to write them off? No, because they're a peculiar club in the way where they had all those defeats 15 months ago. They went into the championship and started winning again. So the defeats didn't get to them too much. They've come in now. They've had a horrific start. I think Norwich are a team. If they get a win here or a win there, they might get four or five wins in a row. Not quite ready to press the button on them. Burnley, on the other hand, I think are in trouble. Third bottom, four points. Drew 2-2 at Southampton at the weekend. But, you know, after we've talked on the pod about that takeover and it's kind of built on a bit of a foundation of sand. Uh, yeah, I mean... Deitch has performed miracles, and I think his biggest problem has been now that the squad that have done the miracles are aging and aging and aging. Only so long you can get away with aging players without going out and replenishing them. And that's not true any fault of his own. That's, you know, is he being backed? And they obviously brought in the fella Cornet, who's got a few goals, looks like a very good, shrewd purchase. But I'd say if you asked a Burnley fan, they probably needed four or five good signings in the summer to refresh that squad. Deitch is magnificent. The job he's done there is amazing, but there's only so long you can keep trying the same old trick. But look, knowing him, if they give him back in in January, and these new owners are probably going to have to, they're that club. If they're in trouble, you would back him over everyone else because of his experience and his ability. But you worry about them at the moment. I worry about Newcastle. Yeah, I mean, they're only four points, and they can't really change much until January. So the question may be how far behind are they at that point? Yeah, you'd like to think the players there now think, well, fuck this. All these replacements coming in, I've got to show you I belong. You like to think this is all that, but then you go the other way and think, well, actually, these players are probably thinking, well, fuck them, we're getting replaced anyway, fuck it. And they'll have to just pay us all. So it could go one way or the other. Um, you know, they had a decent result against Palace, but I thought, I thought Palace should have won that game. You know, you, you know, Benteke had a goal rule off VAR. Uh, Palace are playing good football. They're not getting the results that their football deserves at the moment. Um, yeah. But Newcastle, yeah, it concerns me because obviously recent form and over the last decade, they've gone down a couple of times. You know, I've, I've got a lot of sympathy for Steve Bruce. I think he's been uh, hung out to dry a little bit there. I, I like Steve. I know him personally. Um, I don't think he's performed to his level. 
I understand all of that. You're absolutely right. I think he did just as good a job as Benitez, and he never got a fair rub of the green. The press turned against him locally. Um, I think he was seen as Ashley's man. But I'd say if Steve was really honest with himself, he's been shocking this season. And I've always been fair to him. He's been brilliant the last two seasons, but, you know, he hasn't been good this season. And, you know, they haven't... Well, I forget the results over nine or ten games, but fucking shocking. So that, that you can blame everything. You can blame well signings, players, blah, 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 blah. But Brentford have come up and done all right, haven't they? Are you telling me Brentford squad's better than Newcastle squad? Yeah, I mean, they haven't won yet of Newcastle. Right, okay. So are you telling me, you know, who else down there? Is not, are you telling me Watford squad's better than Newcastle squad? So no, that's down to, that's down to poor management. So he, he was treated, the, the stuff that was said about him when I heard his interview was horrendous, horrendous. And as my manager says, and I think Klopp said it, don't read social media, stay away from the media, you know, horrendous. Um, Steve will be back. He's a top, top manager. Um, I'm glad he's got a nice £8 million payoff. He deserved that for what happened at the end. But make no bones about it, he was partly responsible for that because whether he was popular or not popular, Ashley's man, not Ashley's man, the results were fucking disgraceful this season. Now, where will he be back? Is he going to be back at a struggling championship side looking, you know, is he going to be walking into a difficult situation? Is he going to be, um, you know, where's his stock, do you think? It depends how much more he wants to do. He's a very wealthy man. You know, he's 60 now. It depends, has this taken a toll on him? So it could be a case of where he says, fuck it, I don't need it, so I'll do press. He's got a nice gaff in Portugal. He's got a lovely wife. Does he need it? Does he really need another tilt or another job? It would have to be an interesting job. So I, I don't know. I don't think he'd be back this season. You know, and obviously, you know, another pal of mine, Mick McCarthy, he got the tin tack on Saturday. Got it about that because obviously I, I, I like Mick a lot. But obviously, it's gone very badly there, Cardiff. And, and yeah, they gave him the bullet. I think you lost eight in a row, didn't you? Yeah, you know, you had Cardiff, I think, as one of your preseason picks. I don't know what's happened there over the last couple of months. Yep, it's gone rotten. It's gone bad. Um, so he's out. I don't know who's going to be in. Charlton got rid of Nigel Atkins, another guy I have a lot of time for, but they've had a fucking disastrous start to the season. But when you analyse a lot of that, um, I would blame, uh, I would definitely say that other people have to take responsibility there. Because a lot of their signings came late in the summer. You know, you talk about getting your business done early. You know, a lot of their business was done late and probably left Nigel behind the eight ball, you know, what he needed to do. But he has to take responsibility. There's no way Cardiff, a club that's our Charlton, a club that size, should be fucking 22nd in League One or wherever they were. That's disgraceful. But at the same time, if you're new into club ownership and you've gone in and you've got director of football, one of the key things for me coming through the leagues in League Two and League One was get your business done June, early July, so that by pre-season camp, the whole squad's together, they can gel and they can get going. Do you know what I mean? Because you don't, you know, 20 games or 14 games in to be 20 seconds. No, that, that's that's not right. We look down the rest of the championship. Uh, I have to call out to uh, Blackpool beating Preston. One, it's a, a huge game. I used to live um, two minutes away from Deepdale back in the day. And um, I know how much that'll sting for Preston fans. Uh, but Blackpool doing a great job. I mean, 11th eleventh uh, in the table right now, having come up. Their manager, I've said this before, he will not be there long. And I mean that with respect. Yeah. Uh, their, their manager is obviously ex-Liverpool youth coach, England youth coach. Their manager is excellent. Like my manager is excellent. I think his age, his profile, what he's done at Blackpool, what he's now doing at Blackpool, you know, with a budget. I think bigger clubs and and like us, Blackpool or whatever else, when a bigger club comes calling, um, it's very difficult for a manager to say no. Uh, I do think their manager, like, let's say, for example, Sheffield United tomorrow, you know, decided, well, it hasn't gone to plan. We need another new manager. You know, are you turning that job down? Um, you know, let's say, I don't know, throw a club out there. Let's say a Southampton decide to get, you know, Ralph and, and, and turn around and say, look at what Christie's doing at Blackpool. Do you turn that job down? So, so again, I think amazing, amazing, amazing job. And I don't upset Blackpool fans there, by the way, because they think, oh my God, he's trying to, you know, get our manager avatar. People within our industry will know how highly rated he is because he's not just a manager, he's a brilliant coach. And that's why Blackpool are doing really well. You know, when we did our coupon in the summer between us all, all the staff about who, who's going to finish wearing the champ, I have Blackpool finishing very, very well. And we got Bournemouth just running away with things at the moment. Played 14, won 10, drawn four, five points clear. Fair play, they'll be promoted by March. And only one uh, dark spot on their form, and that happened to be a draw. You come up against the mighty posh. You know we love a clean sheet. <laughs> I'm only joking. Yeah, listen, I, I mean, look, 
like I said to you, we're no mugs at home. And and that's the frustrating thing. If we solve the away thing, we could be a hell of a team in the champ. Because if you look at all our home games this season, you know, we're fucking really good at home. And long will that continue? And we have been for two and a half years. So, yeah. Anyway, moving on from the champ. Where to Yeah, next? League One. Shout out to Plymouth. Top of the table on 30 points right now. No surprise. Ryan Lowe is, you know, I spoke to Lowe on transfer deadline day. He rang me about, you know, an opinion on another player, not one of ours, just to talk to the breeze about players. And he is another brilliant coach. And they had a really good start last year in League One. Then they fell away, lost interest. They were never going down, never going Everyone up. Everyone was shot for his head, which I'd never understood. And, uh, I, I really, I don't believe that. I think the Plymouth fans love Ryan Lowe. I, I, I'm maybe a few dissenters, but he's a terrific guy. He's, again, a young manager. Very proud of him. Doing an incredible job. Um, you know, obviously, I've had my scouts at their games. We've got Broomy there. I've been looking at some of their players, of course, as you do. Yeah, really, really happy for him. And long may it continue because they've come out of nowhere. And obviously, Ryan Broom's doing brilliant. So he's uh, he's going to have to, uh, his owner's going to have to write a big check in January. His value is going up by the week. <laughs> yeah. Listen, I, I, you know, at the end of the day, I'm a fair guy. You know, we, we did him a good deal before on George Cooper. And we said to him about Broomy, you know, and, and if his owner wants to back him, he's going to have to buy him in January because uh, there are other clubs that want to buy him. And are my manager, I want to take him back to our squad in the championship. So, um, but listen, I don't want to mess with what they're doing there. Promotion-wise, they're doing brilliant. So long may it continue, you know. And, and an agent friend of mine's got a couple of players there, and he just says that they all love the gaffer. So, you know, good dressing room, good setup, good bunch of lads. Makes a difference. Uh, yeah, it makes a big difference, you know. Fucking brilliant. And, and I think the big surprise in League 1 was Sunderland got beaten, didn't they? I know, right? Charlton. So we talked about Charlton before and the awful start that they've had, and then they roll up the stadium of light and, and grab a 1-0. Be interesting now. Hopefully that's not, you know, the start of a couple of defeats because I'd always be interested to see if Sunderland lose a few games like we did last year and we had good patches and we had a couple of bad patches, how quick does it turn there? You know, now they've got all the fans. You know, if they lose three, four games in a row, what's the pressure like? Because there's one thing, the pressure of 7,000 Peterborough fans turning on the team, getting unhappy for a couple of losses. There's another thing where you've got 35,000 Maccabs, you know, on top of you. So that'd be really interesting to see how they handle that. League One's fascinating because Ipswich are coming back into it. And uh, you've obviously got Wickham flying high. You've got Plymouth flying high. You've got Wednesday having hit their stride. Um, you've got Wigan fucking doing unbelievable. You've got Portsmouth struggling. I mean, it, it, it's, a you know, Bolton are now struggling. It's a fascinating league. It's it's interesting that some of those uh, high flyers from the first six or seven, eight games are now struggling. Markham's an example. I mean, Markham set off like a train in that division. And now they're, you know, two points off relegation zone. Yep, teams like that. Wimbledon, Morecambe, sometimes teams like that, they, they have good fast starts. What I always keep saying, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. Look out for the real the real wise dogs come February, March onwards. Anyone from 14th upwards can win promotion in that league. What do you make of Portsmouth? It'd be unfair to judge because I haven't seen enough of them. Wasn't a big fan of the lack of recruitment made. I rate their manager. Um, we played them pre-season. We weren't good. They beat us comfortably. But they very much look like the same kind of team from last year and the year before. Sometimes, you know, that can go really well, where by year two or three you're ready to lift off, or sometimes it can go stale. Um, I might be wrong because I haven't seen enough of them, so it'd be unfair. But I would always expect the club the size of Portsmouth to be challenged in top six. And they've done that, obviously, with playoffs the last few years, been in and around it and lost. Um, the ownership there probably now getting to the point where in January they're probably going to have to buy some players. Um, you know, if they want to have a go. Don't write them off because they're a big club. If they go on a run, you know, and, and Danny Crowley's won promotions, you know, from he's won the league in League Two, he's won the league in non-league, done very well, obviously, with Lincoln in League One before he left. Don't write them off just yet. Um, they've had some topsy-turvy results. They've, they've won games by four goals. They've lost games by four goals. Um, they need some recruitment, in my opinion. It's funny. You look at the results every week, you think they're struggling. You look at the table, it's still nothing a couple of wins wouldn't fix. That's it. And that's why I say don't write them off, you know, and I don't want local journalists and Portsmouth listening to this and picking bits of it. I'm not having to go to ownership. I'm not having to go to manager. They're a massive club who will rise again. And right now, they probably need two or three very, very good signings in January. And then into League Two. So we got Forest Green still um, top of the table, five points clear. Um, let's see how they did. They beat Salford at the weekend. Um, we play them next weekend. So... 
that'll be an interesting one. We've never had much success against Forest Green since we've been back. Where is it? To. Um, it is at home, I believe. It's a Valley Parade, but that's not stopped them in the past. I fancy you to win that 4 2. Well, we'll see if our newfound uh, scarring boots will, uh, will help us out. And you know, the past games have been when we've had the uh, uh, Mark Cooper show to deal with as well. And, um, you know, if you want to come to Valley Parade and really uh, uh, take the life out of the place, I mean, your mate Steve Evans was an expert at it as well. You know, evidenced by a huge brawl at the end of one of the games. Um, you know, that's uh, that seems to be a successful way of coming to Valley Parade. Who else is up there now? Who's in the top seven? Yeah, we got Portville second place. Uh, your, your friends at Northampton in third. The Cobblers. Exeter fourth. Then we've got Harrogate, Swindon, and Hartlepool making up the rest of the playoffs. So Hartlepool have had a good start. I fancy Exeter to win the league. I'm changing my bet from Bradford. Bradford will be top three. But I now Exeter. I've had my scouts at a lot of their games. And I think Exeter, what they have there, manager, dressing room, style of play, consistency, I think outside little bet, I think they'll win the league. They still got a bunch of... I mean, their model is up and coming kids, isn't it? Incredible, honest to God. Like we're our academy's gone cartoon out. The Dom's about to be finished in uh, November, December. We finally get our accreditation, and you look at an extra and go, you know, we want to produce like they do, and we're on the verge. We're we're on the verge. We we've got unbelievable and dirt of talent coming through. So extra credit, you know, to the way they run the club, to the manager, everything. They don't stand in the way of players like Randall. They were brilliant to deal with in the summer. You know, that's their their model. And, and yeah, I really fancy them. I really fancy them. I like the way they play. Now, what do they do from a youth perspective that others in League Two could follow that don't? Play their players. Play their players. You know, a lot of clubs talk about having a youth set up and don't play their fucking players. Excellent. Play their players. They they give them a chance. They, they get them out on loan. They bring them back in. They put them in. They take them out. They play their fucking players. You know, the, the manager understands the philosophy. A little bit like crew. They understand the philosophy. They understand the importance of producing these players. They understand they have to sell one every year. They understand to keep it going. That's the way it goes. You know, Ollie Watkins probably helped pay for the last two years. If Ollie goes sold again, he'll pay for the next two years. You know, if Joel Randall gets sold for 20 million, there's another three, four million for Exeter just off their sell on with us, which again, that's that's how they're such a well-run football club. They're never in danger of not paying their wages or going out of business. You know, you want to draw a perfect model. Exeter, really well-run club. Crew, really one well-run club. AFC Wimbledon now at their own stadium again. Really well-run club. So we talk about all the shitty-run clubs and the clubs in trouble and the clubs gone into administration. We don't highlight enough the clubs that are run really fucking well. Yeah, and the fact that they now have some consistency with that model so the production line is churning, which, you know, I guess is what you got to, the situation where if you need to cash in some assets, you know, you have the production line to do so. It's not just a wonder kid who comes along once every 10 years. Absolutely. We, we could sell next summer one teenage starlet who's been playing in the champ and it would set us up for the next two, three years regardless of what league we're in. It wouldn't, it wouldn't need owner's financial input. And that's where you want to get to. And, you know, yes, our model's about producing players and, and, and outside of that, we've got other players who are worth a lot of money. Do you know what I mean? But just youth graduates, we could sell one teenager next summer and we're good to go for the next two seasons, whether we're in the champ or anywhere else. So that's where you want to be as a football club, where you don't need the owners to have to remortgage their house, raid their piggy bank, you know, get irritated with putting money in. Actually, let's sell that teenager. Good to go. We can run the club and we can bring in players that we can still compete. So I know we've talked about a lot of things. We've got a ton of questions as well. There's a lot going on this week. A um, couple of other topics that raised some eyebrows at, at Hard Truth Towers, at least at this side of Hard Truth Towers this week. One was uh, Premier League clubs banning sponsorship from related parties. It seems just like another reason for the another excuse for the 19 to uh, uh, try and protect themselves against Newcastle. Pathetic. Threw their toys out of the pram. Um, you know, trying to play games, you know, trying to... I, I, I'd challenge that. If I were Newcastle, I'd be in the high court tomorrow challenging that. Because, it, you know, okay, it was fine yesterday, but it's not fine today. I'm sorry. Like, where's that come from um, at the end of the day? I get what they're trying to do, but at the same time, come on. I mean, behave. Um, I'm not against all the money going into the Premier League from Newcastle. I understand the controversy behind it, but I've said it before. There's worse people being involved in football, and there are probably even more worse people involved in football because that's just the nature of the game and, and not knowing who is involved. 
But, you know, they're going to create a market that will flow and the money will hopefully flow downwards. And we need that in the football league. So, you know, to be stopping that and trying to, you know, get behind it. And, you know, if Newcastle, Newcastle could spend three, four hundred million in the next four windows. They're not winning the league. The, the mid-table at this point with that money. Man City came along and United were on the decline. New, Liverpool weren't on the up yet. Chelsea were always bouncing backwards and forwards, win a league, finish below, fire a manager, win a league. And Man City, I think it was three years, four years it, it took with Mark Hughes at first. And, you know, eventually Mancini came in and it took some spending. United have spent, I don't know, a billion pounds over the last six years and they can't get near a league title. So all this fear about Newcastle going out and spending as much as they want. I've said this before. It's not going to happen overnight. And, you, you, you know, so, yeah, really silly decision for me. That has to be challenged. It's, it's not 1992 and Jack Walker coming and buying a league title. Correct. Absolutely correct. And, and God love him and God rest his soul. So uh, over in Germany, we had Bayer Leverkusen and their owner saying that the Bundesliga is at risk of becoming a development league to the Premier League with Premier League spending. And, Correct. you know, you're seeing other leagues right now. I think uh, Serie A had their period in the 90s and, um, you know, there's not really been much going on there for the last few years. Uh, obviously, the big clubs in La Liga are now struggling financially. Is, is this just pushing everyone to a European league? COVID's been a real equaliser. Um, you know, COVID's pretty much destroyed Real Madrid and Barcelona. You know, that 18 months, two years has is, is, is got at them. They were already financially in trouble and now it's really, really It's like the final them. nail, wasn't it? Right, you know, and he's absolutely right. Germany is a development league and it is where, you know, the best players who are there will come to England. They will. They just will. Chelsea have shown that. They went and got two of the best players in the Bundesliga like that. Um, and that will continue. Liverpool will do it. Man City will do it. Newcastle, I dare say, will be buying two or three. You know, they've got some great, they've been nicking all the English talent. They're going to be brought back. Um, so Spain, you know, I'm not sure the standard's great there anymore. Um, Troop, you know. Uh, Italy hasn't been good for a few years. Guardiola said it the other day. The Premier League's where it's at. The best coaches in the world, the best tactics in the world. You go up against the Brighton. You're going up against the manager who people in Italy have never heard of, and Graham Potter, who's a brilliant manager tactically. And you've got to work really hard to win that game if you're Man City. It might have looked easy on paper, not necessarily gone into it. So... It's where it's at. We we are right now, you know, Championship, Premier League, some of the best leagues in, in the world of football. And those leagues and whatever else and players look on with envy. Do you think that's going to force European leagues? Maybe, but I'm not ready to say yes yet. Um, yet you know, and, and, and I think at the moment we're the best show in town, you know, the United Kingdom. So we don't need to be in a hurry for the Super League. Now at the other end of the spectrum, we have... Um, Bolton's captain, Anthony Sasevich, leaving to join Stockport, which was a little bit of a, a razor of eyebrows as well. Really interesting to see him going down into the National League. No, not a surprise. He's been promoted a couple of times to the League One and he's been sold each time. I think Fleetwood did the same. I don't, he's obviously, managers deem him not good enough to play at that level. But fair play to him. He's had a good career in the Football League. He's won multiple promotions from League Two. And now he's, I think he's getting paid by Stockport. Is he right? Stockport. Yeah, three years at Stockport. Like very wealthy owner at Stockport, like Wrexham. And that's a great career move for him. And there's no shame in that. Stockport are a massive club. Um, you know, and, and I dare say he'll go up with them and he'll win promotion again. It'll probably happen again. So sometimes players find their level. And I know I, I don't want him listening to this saying I think he's a crap player. I think he's a brilliant lower league footballer. And it just hasn't happened for him in league one. So I think the Bolton managers made the right call. Now, do you think it's Stockport because of the inability of League Two clubs to sign because we're outside the transfer window or because it's money? There's more money in parts of the National League than there is League Two right now. I don't think a lot of clubs in League Two give them a three-year contract. I think Stockport's the right move because he's the right type of player to get them promotions. We did similar years gone by. We went and signed Keats and Westwood in three-year deals when they were 29 and 30. And we took them from Walsall who were seen as a bigger club than us. But they couldn't offer them three-year deals. We did because we knew their experience for the next two years. Forget three. We're going to be invaluable. I always knew by year three I'd move them on. But I gave them three-year deals to get them in. So, you know, it's the right move by Stockport and Wrexham to sign the odd player like that that's going to bring massive experience into the dressing room. You have your backwards and forwards with uh, the Peterborough Telegraph. And we see um, some of the tweets that have gone backwards and forwards the last week or so, just as they were uh, calling into question your championship chops. Um, but you know, you go across to Hull, who we talked to about earlier, who have banned one of the BBC reporters, saying that the players don't want to answer his questions. And I just wonder if, you know, you have an opinion on the clubs that seem to be trying to control the message when they do ban outwards from the stadium. 
I've always had a great relationship with the media. And Alan Swan has been doing his job longer than I've been born. And he's very good at his job. And I might not agree with his articles. I got pissed off a few years ago when him and Steve Evans leaked Lee Tomlin was training with us. We got a promise off Warnock. Don't let that out. I get him for free in January because they both fucking talked about it in the press and it was in the eat. It cost, it cost me a hundred grand that it wouldn't have cost me. Because the car, the phoners then were realized what was going on and did it, did it, did it. So, you know, Warnock was trying to do us a favor and then we ended up having to pay five grand a week for him. So Alan's really good. And I didn't agree with his article, but he's entitled to write his article. And I would never stop him coming to the training ground. Equally, my manager wouldn't stop talking to him. No way. And you have to be very careful. The press, particularly the local press, are an institution. They're part of the fabric. And a lot of the local press are actual fans. Yes, they might write about a football club, but they're fans. The press will piss me off. I'll call them out for it. Um, but it doesn't mean I'm going to put them on my grudge list. And I'm certainly not going to ban them or blacklist them. I think that was a very, very ill-advised move. I'm not sure that was Grant McCann who did that. Um, I know it's been said it was him. I'm not sure it is him because with the training you would have had from me and my football club that, you know, no, don't don't go down that route. Don't alienate everybody. And if the press are giving you a hard time, bring them in sitting down and ask, ask them for a period just to give you a chance. And if after the next eight weeks, it's still the same, understand, but give me a chance. It feels like all the clubs where that happens, you pass this point in no return. Can't do it. Can't do it. It's bad. I would never do it. I don't think I've ever done it. Um, you, you, you know, I think it was the BBC, one of their stations did a hit piece on me on TV years ago when I sold real estate. And, you know, it was, it was despicable, you know, but I never, they never asked to speak to me and whatever else. And I didn't go out of my way to ignore them. I still go BBC Cambridge your time. I still did whatever else. Um, you know, the Sunday Times went after me years ago. Their sports editor is a friend of mine who's now the editor at The Athletic. Um, you, you know, you ask for equal respect. You know, give me a fair chance. I'll give you a fair chance. If you've got a vendetta against me, well, okay, I'm going to fight that. I won't ban you, but I'll talk about what the vendetta is. Do you know what I mean? So Alan Swan, he, even the day after all those tweets and about his article, we were messaging the next day because he asked me for a few words on Darren's, you know, 500 win or whatever it was. So um, no, no problem whatsoever. He's, he's very good at his job and, and him and his son, they're fans. So we're not always going to agree. Um, equally, I would never, ever, ever write to Alan Swan and tell him to write a certain headline or tell him not to write something. Can't do that with journalists. You know, as a as a supporter, you want that a little bit of tension between your club and the press because um, you know you don't want to feel like the press are just going to be the mouthpiece of the club and just write everything that the club asked them to write. I want them to be fair. I want them to be fair. That's all I ask for is a fair shake a fair representation call me out when i make mistakes um you know i hate being kicked when we're down you know that to me sometimes is people are waiting and i'm not saying swanee did that by the way i'm you know some people might do that fans can do that with you you know i hate that like someone comes after you when you're down and that's for me when i'm at my strongest because i i, I savor that and i save it up and i wait till i'm back up again because i'm never down for long you know, but I think banning journalists and making those moves is very, very dangerous and, and it backfires more times than not. Hey, now, Phil, before we go, yeah. I'll go on to questions. I heard Grant McCann's children were getting attacked on Twitter. That's the media. And I ain't having that. And I'll come out and defend him, you know, forever. He, one of his kids is in our academy and his wife comes, watches every game and everything else. I hate to hear that. They're a lovely family. He doesn't deserve that. He was dealt very extreme circumstances going to Hull when they went down, losing his best players. They won the league last year. They had an embargo in the summer. I think some people need to get their head out of their arses and go, he's not actually the problem at that football club. And to attack his children, you're a special kind of vermin when you go after someone's children. Someone went after my children on social media. The things I do, you wouldn't even imagine. And someone would have to be very fucking brave to do that. <laughs> it's despicable. It's really despicable, isn't it? I mean, I, I can't even imagine. So, so I, you know, it, it, I know if Grant listens to the podcast with Kelly, but I'll send my love and my best to them. You know, I didn't want to reach out because we'd just beaten them. And then it all blew up and it would have looked like, oh, I'm reaching out because we just won. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to wait until, you know, days had gone by and I, and I will reach out to them in the next couple of weeks. But that's fucking horrendous for that to happen. And that shouldn't happen because you've got a lovely family. 
and your family have got nothing to do with how your football club wins, loses, or draws. Right. Well, we've run for a, a, almost an hour and 10. We've got some questions, but I was looking through the questions. The vast majority, if not all, are not necessarily topical to this week. So I just want to ask one because it's actually on Hull. It talks a little bit about actually a comment you just made there. It was from Steve on email. And Steve says, I was astonished to learn when we played Hull, when we Peterborough played Hull, that they've been up for sale seven years. You know, you talked a little bit about ownership and the, the cards that Grant has been dealt. Um, what policies and the like would you introduce to attempt to change that status quo to attract a buyer? Like, basically, what would you do differently if you've got a stale asset that's not selling to help move it on? Um, what would I do differently? Um, I would obviously, the, the, the time was in the summer when they won League One. It was time to press the reset. So you go down, you get rid of all the fat, you get rid of all the bad overheads. You suddenly make yourself a very, very attractive club on paper. I think Hull will be sold soon. Um, I would have a bet they're probably sold in the next seven months uh, because I think they're in very good shape financially. I think Alan, the older guy, not his son, has, has, has run it very, very prudently to the point where they're never in trouble financially. They're not in you know, any danger. Yes, they've got embargoes like everyone gets. Um, I would, when they went up in the summer, I would have done everything in my power not to have an embargo so we've had a little bit of a go without getting carried away and give Grant a chance just to get them top 14 in the champ. A little bit like what Preston did, where Preston went down, and God bless Trevor Higgins, he passed away, and, and best wishes to his family. But him and Ridsdale pressed the reset button. They got Preston back up. They went down the route we did a little bit with their sales and their transfers, and they became a very, very good mid-tier championship team. So that's what Hull needs and, and needed. So, But I would imagine they'll be sold shortly. I don't know whether to ask you this or not, but... Um, what's your projection for Hull this year? You know, are they going to come good or is it going to be a struggle this season? They've got really good players. You know, they won the league last year. They, they ran us all the way and we ran them all the way. And I think they pipped us by two points. Um, you know, I, I, I rate Grant as a manager. Um, I think they're going to be okay, actually. So, you, you know, and obviously if there is a takeover, I hope they don't, you know, panic and pull the trigger on him. Um, so let's see. Are there three worst teams in Hull in the league? I think so. So, you know, that's where I am. I think they need new ownership. The fans definitely need some happy news. And hopefully happy news comes with them getting on Grant's side and forgetting about his horrendous championship record, which are under horrible circumstances, um, and give him a fair shake. Um, so, yeah, that's the wish. I, I hope us, Hull, Coventry, Luton, all clubs like that finish top 14. <laughs> kind of leading the charge for, for League One. Absolutely. And uh, ensuring that it is possible to hold your own, like we talked about earlier. Yeah, because that's what you want. And you want well-run football clubs doing really well. And and everyone should want that. So, yeah, that's where we are. So, anyway, on that, let's sign off and let you get back to work. To all the fans out there, win, lose, or draw, thank you for listening. And uh, hopefully, here's to a good few weeks. Yeah, we'll be back next week. Same time, same place. Talk to you soon, everyone. Mm-hmm.